Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, today I want to tell you about Chef Daniel Brophy, who was a very well-liked and respected culinary chef and instructor in Portland, Oregon. He had a very dry sense of humor, which I love. Dan is said to have enjoyed mushroom foraging, gardening, creating compost, and of course, cooking and teaching people all those things. Something he said that I thought was really funny was, you can eat any exotic mushroom at least once. Dad joke. Daniel was a well-known figure in his community and every week volunteered and helped feed homeless and struggling members of his surrounding area. But June 2nd, 2018, only 25 days before his 64th birthday, he was unexpectedly shot and killed at work. You guys know I think it is so shitty to kill someone right before a major holiday or a birthday, but how disrespectful is it to kill someone so close to retirement? What an asshole. Before I jump into today's story, I just want to thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Slayer Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira. Don't forget to check out my Facebook page, Storytime Slayer, and my YouTube, Storytime Slayer. I'm also on TikTok if you need a good laugh or animal video after these hard episodes. The TikTok is also called Storytime Slayer. It's kind of my thing. Okay, so leave that five-star review, follow, like, subscribe, share, tell people about me, and let's get started. Daniel Brophy was born in Valley City, North Dakota in 1954. I don't know a whole, whole lot about his life before he met his second wife, Nancy, but I do know that he at some point got married and had a son named Nathaniel, who was born, I think, in 1981. But in 1994, when Nathaniel was 13, David and his first wife got divorced. David and Nathaniel have a rather strange relationship from that point forward. So much so that Nathaniel actually takes his mother's last name. However, when Nathan was about 21, him and his father turned the relationship around and they were more like best friends than father and son. So that's nice. Dan had a full life, it sounds to me. So for one, he had a degree in marine biology according to Dateline, but he worked as a dishwasher at a 24-hour diner in Kansas. A short time later, he became the graveyard cook, and from that point, he realized he had a passion for cooking. He went to culinary school, worked, and mentored under at least 10 European chefs, and eventually became a culinary instructor. A lot of people say that it may have been him working under the European chefs that caused him to have such like a dry sense of humor and sometimes not so subtle sarcasm because that's kind of how European chefs are. They're real rough and tough to hack it with. Daniel actually met his second wife, Nancy, in either 1990 or 1991 after she'd enrolled at the Western Culinary Institute of Portland, Oregon. That is not the name of the institute anymore, but that's what it was called at the time. Dan was her instructor. Nancy told her best friend and roommate that she liked Dan, but Tanya was like, "Uh uh-uh, girl, Dan is married. Nancy was born in Wichita, Texas, June 16, 1950. She majored in economics at the University of Houston, but at some point she married a police officer, and for reasons unknown, the marriage sort of dissolved. Looking for a fresh start, she decided to move to Oregon in 90 or 91, join the culinary school, which she did complete the program and start her own catering business called Chef Dujon Catering. In 1999, she and Dan actually got married. I don't know what year they started dating, but I do know they got married in 99. 
even though they had a wedding ceremony in 1999, they didn't actually legally file their paperwork until like June 14th of 2016. Dan kept his career as a culinary instructor, bringing in about 50 to 60K a year. And her catering business for the 10 years that she had it brought in about $500,000 a year. Whoa, that is nice. Reports are conflicting. Some say that she closed her business because 9-11 happened and it greatly affected the restaurant business altogether. And Nancy had to cut her staffing almost in half. Other reports say that Nancy couldn't handle how physically demanding the business was on her, and that is why she changed trades and ended up closing the door after 10 years. So Nancy becomes an insurance salesperson and an author. She specifically wrote romance and murder novels, and in 2003, she published her first novel of what came to be a five-book series. Now, Nancy was no best-selling author, but I mean, come on, not everyone's meant to be or it wouldn't be special, right? Life was really good, even though the couple had fallen onto hard financial times, but they'd managed to clean up their act, um, drawing from their retirement. I think maybe they paid it back from that, and they were on an upward swing. They'd planned to sell their house. Everything was kind of coming together until Dan was shot and killed. So it's June 2nd, 2018, when Dan got up and went to work like it was any other day. He arrives to work about 7.22, disarms the building, opens the garage, does his normal prep work, and he was standing in a room referred to as Kitchen One, which is a kitchen classroom at this culinary institute, and Dan was actually at the sink preparing the coffee and ice water for his students before they got there when somebody came in and shot him in the back. After he fell on his back and was lying face up, his assailant stood over him and shot him in the chest. They must have been in a hurry because they did not pick up their two 9mm shell casings. A student arrived to the culinary school 10 minutes after Dan, but I don't think that she went inside immediately and she didn't actually find Dan until close to 8am, but she did immediately call 911. Police arrive on scene and they could immediately rule out a robbery as motive because one, Dan had on his watch. His wallet was in his pocket. It still had cash in it. His truck and keys were still there and nothing was missing from the building. Once police surveyed the scene and positively identified Dan, they called Nancy at about 1020 to inform her that Dan had been shot and killed. She was at home at the time, so she said, and she was devastated. Neither her nor anyone had any idea who would want to kill Dan or even harm him. Unfortunately, this culinary school had no surveillance. How the hell are you going to be in Portland, Oregon with no surveillance? So the police are sort of stumped. They speak with Nancy and she said everything was normal that day. Dan left for work at 7.05 as usual. She was still in bed. They'd exchanged a few words and off he went. Everybody was devastated and felt really, really bad for Nancy and Nathaniel. Everybody but the police. In fact, Nancy was on police's radar relatively quickly. So for one, one of the first things Nancy said after hearing Dan was shot dead was that she didn't care who killed Dan because that wouldn't bring him back and that's all she wanted. Secondly, she immediately told police that she, in fact, owns a 9mm Glock registered in her name. Same weapon believed to be used in the crime. And third, when police were coming through surveillance footage at all the surrounding stores, they actually spotted Nancy's van. No, 
it was not just the same make and model and color as Nancy's van. It didn't just look like Nancy's van. Nancy's van had a very large scratch under the gas lid on her vehicle. And this is not just like a little scrape. I'm talking a six to eight inch long scratch, wide enough to have slightly rusted line that you could literally see on surveillance footage. So we know Nancy's lying about being home in bed when Dan goes to work. Not only was she lying, but she was seen driving on roads near Dan's work as early as 41 minutes before he got there. They see her van drive towards the culinary school, and it's last seen on the surveillance of a store next door at 7.22 a.m. Then her van is not shown on any footage until 7.29, leaving the area where Dan worked. This is a seven-minute window where Nancy's van is unaccounted for, and she could not be anywhere but the area police could not see, which was the damn culinary school Dan worked at. Police just sit on this information for a minute. They try to build more evidence. And in the meantime, Nancy is publicly boo-hooing on camera about how wonderful her husband is and how tragic this murder was. And everyone just feels really sorry for her, especially those that are closest to the couple. Then a couple days after Dan had died, Nancy called the investigators and says she doesn't want to be the one to have to ask a dumb question of the day, but she has a dumb question of the day. She wanted to know if the police could send a letter to her insurance company stating that Nancy was not a suspect in Dan's murder because without it, they would not pay out on a small, teeny-weeny insurance policy that she said she had on Dan. According to Nancy, the policy was only $40,000, so she wasn't sure why they were making poor Nancy jump through these hoops. These investigators had never been asked this before, and they're like, no, like, no, Nancy, that that's not how this works. In the meantime, Nancy and Dan had already planned to put their house on the market as a means to, like, improve their financial situation. So Nancy just continued with that plan and got the house ready and put it on the market. This was not suspicious to really anybody, not even Dan's son. This was only suspicious to police because they were already on to Nancy. But like I said, nobody else was none the wiser. I mean, Nancy and Dan had been married for over 20 years now. Police do stumble upon something else. Very circumstantial, but very interesting. They find a blog post Nancy had written seven years ago titled, How to Murder Your Husband. And I'm going to give you a few bits and pieces about it. She says, quote, as a murder suspense writer, I spend a lot of time thinking about murder and consequently police procedure. After all, if the murder is supposed to set me free, I don't want to spend any time in jail. And let me say clearly for the record, I don't like jumpsuits and orange isn't my color, end quote. Next in this blog post, she starts listing motives for murder. Number one is financial. She explains divorce is expensive and nobody wants to split up their stuff. Number two is lying and cheating. And number three would be falling in love with somebody else. She also had a category called options to consider. And she lists ways to kill someone and expands on each way. So she suggests guns, random heavy equipment to look like an accident, poison, a hitman, or maybe even hiring your lover. She also says, quote, I find it easier to wish people dead than to actually kill them. I don't want to worry about all the blood and brains on my walls. And really, I'm not good at remembering lies. But the thing I know about murder is every one of us have it in them when pushed far enough, end quote. So with that and the surveillance footage, 
Police go search Nancy's home and they actually find a laptop in her closet with some very interesting information on it. On November of 2017, Nancy had visited a ghost gun website. So this is a website where you can order unregistered guns without serial numbers, but they don't come assembled. You have to assemble them yourself. Then on December of 2017, Nancy was looking up information about handguns and Glocks in particular. She Googled the price, what kind of kickback they have, and even a gun store near her. Police and prosecutors believe Nancy went to go buy a gun because the ghost gun was way too complicated for her to assemble. So shortly after compiling her research on the 9mm Glock, she actually goes and buys one at a shop in Portland. However, the gun Nancy has does not match the ballistics of the gun used in the crime. It is the same caliber, same weapon, but the markings left by the barrel don't match the ones that shot Dan. And that's because, based on Nancy's internet history, in February, she had ordered a replacement slide and barrel for her gun on eBay. See, Nancy could use the gun on Dan and then change the barrel so her gun would no longer match the one used in the crime if it were ever tested, which, oh, I hate to say this, but that's actually not a bad idea. Also, remember how Nancy said that she only had a $40,000 policy on Dan? She actually gained to benefit over a million dollars between Dan's work compensations and insurance policies that she'd taken out on him. Remember, Nancy sold insurance. That bitch knew what she was doing. So three months after the murder, Nancy gets arrested and everybody's shocked. Nathaniel had a hard time believing it. Nancy and Dan's longtime friend Tanya told Dateline she didn't believe it. But all that changed when they got the facts. So I think it's about four years before Nancy goes to trial in April of 2022. So yeah, this just happened. The prosecution presented their case in 11 days and they couldn't enter the circumstantial blog post into evidence. So instead they get really creative and ask Nancy questions like, do you think it's easier to wish people dead than to actually kill them? And then Nancy would be like, yes, yes, I do. I assume that she had to answer honestly based on what she typed in the blog, because if not, I bet they would be able to enter the blog into evidence. Either way, though, the court still gets to hear what the blog post said because they literally go question by question through the whole thing with her. They also explained Nancy had financial motive. The couple was a bit in the hole and Nancy was known to covet money. Nancy's internet search history, her gun purchase, the second barrel she bought, and not to mention the undeniable fact that Nancy lied about where she was and was seen driving around Dan's work until 722 and isn't seen again until 729. Those seven minutes Dan had to have been killed in because remember Dan's student arrived moments after Nancy left and they obviously would have heard two gunshots inside the building. Nancy's defense was, it wasn't me. And they tried blaming a homeless man who was seen on surveillance collecting cans near the culinary school around the time of the murder. Nancy actually takes the stand and it's fine guys because she says she can explain everything. According to Nancy, the reason she ordered the ghost gun was because she was working on a true crime story about a guy who ordered one put it together, and then shot his family. But then she wanted to kind of change the direction of the story and maybe make it a woman who was afraid. So the best way to do any of that is that she ordered her own ghost gun. Okay, 
Okay, makes sense. The Glock research and gun purchase was for protection after hearing about the Florida mass shooting by a student at Stoneman Douglas High School. Dan wanted her to get the gun for protection, especially because he worked at a school. Now, on the subject of financial trouble, Nancy explained that Dan had taken out a $35,000 loan against his retirement so that the couple could pay off some of their credit card debts, and they no longer were in financial trouble, so, like, why would she want a million dollars? As for her whereabouts that day, Nancy said that she can't actually remember. From the time Dan left to work to when the police call her informing her something happened, she has absolutely no memory. Nancy thinks she probably went to Starbucks because Nancy's finances show that she spent over $1,000 a year at Starbucks. After getting coffee, she probably just drove around aimlessly. And that's why she was seen around Dan's work. Aimlessly driving is a part of her creative process when working on a story. Next thing she remembers is the police calling her. So when asked if she could have shot Dan and not remembered, Nancy insisted, no way. She can't remember, but she definitely knows she didn't do that. They had a blissful marriage, the best it had been in years. And Nancy also told the prosecution while she was on the stand that their case was held together with band-aids and that she had more money with Dan alive than she did with Dan dead. Nancy is ultimately found guilty of first degree murder and sentenced May 26, 2022 to life with the possibility of parole. But Nancy's currently 71 and she's not going to be eligible for parole until she's 90. I'm very interested to see where this case goes because it just happened. And I'm sure they're working on appeals and trying to find ways to, you know, get her sentence reduced. So anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Slayer podcast. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. By the way, I have a tie dye launch coming soon. Okay, bye.